Open your Bibles with me to Job chapter 9 and 2 Timothy chapter 2. Job 9 and 2 Timothy chapter 2. This Christmas season, I am every Sunday, Lord willing, going to be bringing a message about Jesus Christ and something that happened because He came. And one of the things that we see in our culture um, with Christmas and the debasement of Christmas and the debasement of even Christmas carols and Christmas hymns because the message of those songs is so indicting to the culture. Um, there was I, I was reading a report about a, a parade, a city parade, and the, the choir was doing Joy to the World. And they, there was the big anthem, Joy to the World. And then they would hum the rest of it. Our Lord has come. Let earth receive her, her king. And you understand that the world is not interested in the king. Why? Because I don't think they appreciate who he is and what he did. Now, I think that sometimes we can be the same way. That the, that the story of Jesus, the story of Christmas, the story of the virgin birth... The story of the wise men that would come a couple of years later. The story of the shepherds. When we hear these things, they become almost trite, almost too familiar. So I want us to go back. I want us to think about what it would be like not to know any of it. There's something that's called the curse of knowledge. The curse of knowledge is the truth that once you learn something it's almost impossible to remember what it was like not to know it, right? You know, you learn something, then you're mad at somebody else who doesn't know it, and you just learned it five minutes ago. It, that, that, that's the curse of knowledge. How do you not know that? You ever said that to somebody? Jesus said it to his disciples. Have I been with you so long, and still you don't know? Because Jesus knows everything. It's interesting for us, it's hard to remember what it would be like not to know. So let's go back and let's read about someone who didn't know what we know happened at Christmas. Job chapter 9. Now remember what has happened. Job has been, he, he's, a, he's an upright man, perfect in all of his ways. He uh, loves righteousness and eschews evil. He, he, he stays away from evil. And now... Trouble has come. His ten children have died. He's lost all of his wealth. He's lost his health. And now he's talking about God. And let's look at it. Job chapter 9, look at verse 28. I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. He's talking about God. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water. Think back to this time. So this is 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago. The cleanest thing that he could think about was snow falling from the heavens. And he's saying, if I could wash myself in this snow water, the cleanest thing that he could have ever considered, if I wash myself with snow water, and make my hands never so clean. That's cleaner than they have ever been. They have never been this clean. 
This is the God that he knows. Yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. He says, I'm so wicked, even though I clean myself as clean as I can get, even my clothes won't want to be near me. That's how wicked I am. Why? He's talking about God. For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let us, and let his fear not terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him. Look at those last words. It's just the saddest thing ever, but it is not so with me. You see that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Help us to go back in time. Help us to take our minds to a place and try to consider what it would be like not to know the truth that we have given us. Lord, help us to see just how amazingly blessed we are today. In Jesus' name, amen. Look with me at verse 30. If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch and mine own clothes shall abhor me. Why is that? Because what Job knew, Job knew of a sacrificial system. If you go to Job chapter 1, verse 5, And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Job was constantly making sacrifices to God for his children. What he knew is the same thing that every man in the world knows, that there is a God and that He is sinful and that sin requires a sacrifice. That's what Job knew. But now what he also understands, back in Job chapter 9, verse 31, Yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. He knew that no matter how clean he tried to make himself, that there's no possible way he could become clean enough to appease a righteous and a holy God. And he said, there's no, there's no way for me to communicate with God. Because in verse 32, For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. He didn't have any way to talk to God. He didn't have any way to communicate with God the way that we do. He didn't have any understanding of that at all. He just knew that there was a God who was righteous and holy and vengeful and, that who, and a God that would judge sin. Then, look at verse 33. Neither is there any daysman. What is a daysman? A daysman is an arbiter. It's a person who can settle a dispute. That's a daysman. That word day, it has to do with judgment in the, in the oldest English. So that, that concept of daysman, it is this, this idea of someone that could reconcile two parties that are at, at conflict. And he said, there's nobody to go between me and God. There is no one. This is 4,000 years ago. This is Job's understanding of who God was. Then it says, Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both, that is, a hand upon God and a hand upon man who could bring them together. 
Verse 34, let him take his rod away from me and let not his fear terrify me. You see, when we hear about the fear of God as reverential awe, we don't understand the fear of God that the people in the Old Testament had. It was was terror, and I'm going to show you that in a second. Then would I speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. Why did he feel that way? Why did he think of that? What was his knowledge of God? So keep your place in Job 9. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 7. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, said, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So what Paul is saying is the way that Timothy should understand the rest of the Bible is through the writings of the Apostle Paul. And we do that. Whether we realize it or not, we all do that all the time. I'm going to show you an example of it. All right, go to John chapter 3 and verse 16. If you ask people what is the best verse on the gospel in the Bible, most people will go to John 3.16. It's the most famous passage in the Scriptures, I would say. John chapter 3 and verse 16. All right, so get John 3.16 and put a marker there in Job 9 so that you don't lose it. John 3.16 and get 1 Corinthians chapter 15. How many of you need more ribbons? Some of the Bibles that we have available for you have three ribbons, okay? <laughs> and that's not all. All right, John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a fantastic verse, isn't it? So keep your place in John 3. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 1. So, John was written by, the John 3.16 was written by John. (laughs) Complicated stuff here, right? 1 Corinthians was written by Paul. Paul told Timothy, consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Here's what Paul wrote about the gospel. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. So the gospel is received, and the gospel is believed. But it must be believed in sincerity of heart. If it's believed, if you don't really believe it, if you're just saying some words, then you're not really saved. If you actually believe the gospel, then you're saved. All right, that's what it says. What is that? Verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received... Again, the gospel has to be received. Do you see that? How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. He died for our sins. He didn't just die. Often we hear that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as a short synopsis, that's fine. But He died for a reason. The gospel is that He died for our sins and that He was buried, and that the third day He rose again. That's the gospel according to the Scriptures. Let's go to John chapter 3 and verse 16. And I want to show you how we all do what Paul told Timothy, not even realizing that we're doing it. Here's the way that we read John three sixteen. those of us who know the Lord. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, 
to die on the cross for our sins, to be buried and to rise again the third day, and that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many of you, that's exactly what you're reading when you read that verse? But the people who would have seen that passage before the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15 wouldn't have known that. You see the curse of knowledge? We use it constantly. And what we do is we look back to Job and we understand that he's living in a different time. His house may have been, you know, a, a tent. He may have been sitting on the floor or on the dirt on, on rugs. He, he may have been eating different food. He, you know, he didn't have an iPod or nobody has an iPod anymore. He, he didn't have an iPhone. He didn't have technology. He didn't have transformers to play with. He didn't have a basketball. So we understand those things are different, but we think that, well, they worshiped God and they knew who God was and they interacted with God. He was a holy and a righteous man, so he was living according to the Word of God. That's what we think. But let me do a list for you. So stay plugged in with this. Don't, don't unplug, because sometimes with lists, your mind wanders. Don't let your mind wander. All right? I've installed electricity into your seat and I'll zap you, wake you up. All right? Man, I wish we could do that in the new building. Let's, let's talk about that. After this, oh, by the way, things are starting on the new building. We've got uh, workers will be here this week doing soil samples and all of that. Within the next couple of weeks, we might be moving dirt. That'd be a blessing. All right. So now, back to our previously scheduled programming. So, what did he know? What did Job know? Number one. They knew that the day Adam sinned, God dealt with them in the garden. Then when Cain murdered Abel, God came and confronted Abel. And then they knew that Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. But Enoch was gone. And they knew that Noah was warned of God to prepare an ark and that God approved that. And then God shut the door and only eight people were saved, and the rest of the world was killed. They knew that God had met Abraham on several occasions, and they knew about the sacrifice of Isaac, and how God came and, and said that He would provide Himself the lamb. And at the end of His trials, God spoke to Job. But what did God say to Job? He started asking Job questions that Job couldn't answer. And then they knew that Jacob had wrestled with an angel, and it was probably Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord. He's probably wrestling with Jesus. Now, how many of you know about all of those stories? Raise your hands. You know about those. You guys ready for this? That's 2,500 years of history. Listen, that is the complete extent of man's interaction with God that's recorded for 2,000 years. 500 years. Guys, ready? That's 500 years before the birth of Christ in, in, in our time. If we went back 2,500 years, that's 500 years before Christ was born. Imagine if from that period until today, we have seven instances of God interacting with people and giving us information. Now, as I read that, 
I think I knew that. I think in, in a way I knew it. But to see it put in that context, in, in that concise statement, it was, it was very shocking and sobering. How many of you, that's kind of a shocking thought? That for 25 years, there are seven periods of interaction between God and man. Then think about this, of that list. In four of those lives, we only know of once when God spoke to that man. And then add to this the fact that for those 2,500 years, they didn't have one page of the Bible to read, memorize, learn from, study. Didn't have any of it. Do you see how hard it is for us to comprehend, to have any idea of what it was like for Job when he was going through his trouble? No concept at all. When Job's in mourning, think about this. He can't read Hebrews for comfort. He can't read Philippians for assurance. He can't read First and Second Thessalonians for hope. He can't read the sufferer's consolation of First Peter. He can only lift his eyes to a black sky full of stars. Know there is a God out there somewhere and wonder what He's done to displease Him. That's all Job could do. So when Job says, for he's not a man as I am, I can't talk with him, then would I not fear him. It, he has no way to interact with him. It's so hard for us to comprehend what it would be like to live in that world. What about Israel? Look at Exodus chapter 19. Do you all realize how blessed we are? I don't, well, that's a silly question. No, we don't realize how blessed we are. But we do realize that we're blessed. And when we start comparing what God has given us compared to what those folks had, it's a stunning thing. So here we have, in this period in history, remember you had Adam and we've gone through all the way to Job. Job would have lived around the same time as Abraham. And this book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And so you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And God spoke to Abraham and called him out and told him to make of him a great nation. He dealt through Isaac and then Jacob. Jacob's sons mess up a little bit, but through Joseph, they're, they're able to be saved in Egypt. Isn't that a blessing? And, and Joseph, through his visions and things, gave them amazing information. But they end up in Egypt and they're slaves. And so God steps in. Isn't it wonderful that we have a redeeming Savior? Isn't that awesome? And we love it that God came in and Jesus said that He would be the Passover lamb, but before that could happen, there had to be the Passover. And so God's going to reveal Himself to Egypt on behalf of His people. And what did He reveal Himself? How did He reveal Himself? Through ten plagues. Ultimately, culminating with that Passover, where if that sign of the blood wasn't on the side post and on the lentil of the door, then the firstborn in every house would die. And just so you know, the firstborn in every house did die. And we often hear about the death angel going through Egypt. It wasn't the death angel. It was God. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. God went through and killed the firstborn child of every house that didn't have that mark. That's how God revealed Himself to Egypt. How many of you think they probably should have listened sooner? Right? 
That's the God, listen, that's the God the children of Israel knew. So now God's going to reveal Himself to them. Isn't it wonderful that God gave them, He spoke to them, He gave them the law, He gave them instruction so that they could know Him and know how to appease Him. Isn't it wonderful that God did that? Let's look at how He did it. Exodus chapter 19, look at verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee. Isn't that good? God's going to come. How does he come? In a thick cloud. That the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon upon, uh, Mount Sinai. Now, it's cool. God said, hey, go tell the people to get ready, wash their clothes, cleanse themselves, sanctify themselves. That's to set themselves apart for God for three days, and then I'm going to come see them. See, and we think it's like Santa Claus is coming to town. Let's see if that's what the people in Israel thought. Verse 12. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, boundaries, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. Santa Claus is coming to town. There shall not in hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain. This is the God they knew. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp... What does it say? They rejoiced. They were so excited. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. Can you imagine Moses going up on that mountain right then? How many of you think that he was a little nervous? Verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou charged us, saying, Set bounds about the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. 
But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest He break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. That's the God they knew. You know, when there's an old song, Gentle Shepherd. These people didn't know the gentle shepherd. This is the God that they knew. But here's the good news. They now have something written down. They have the law. They now have a system of worship. They have a a, a method to approach God. There's the tabernacle in the temple. So now there's a place where God will come down and commune with man. There's a place where they can go and make their sacrifices and, and, and do the atonement for sin that must be made so that they can have some kind of an interaction with God. Isn't that wonderful? They have that. But think about this. This temple, the structure has a barricade to separate the world from the place of worship. There's a second barricade to separate the worshiper from the place of sanctification where the priests go. And then when the priests go into this place of sanctification, then there's a veil that keeps them from the place where God is. And there's only one man that can go into that place once a year. And if he has any unconfessed sin in his life, he'll die. That's their worship. That's what they have. There's only one man. And only after a series of washings and sacrifices and only with special clothes and ceremony. And think about this. That high priest, that one man in a time of need, trial, gladness, or thanksgiving, he couldn't go in there. It was once a year only to make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 6. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Those are the service of God, are all those sacrifices and the washings and those things. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year. That's that holiest of all. Sometimes it's called the holy of holies. Once every year, not without blood, he had to have the blood of that sacrifice, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Verse 8. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, that the way into the holiest of all, do you see that? That's the name for that place, not holy of holies, it's the holiest of all. The way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as yet the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, now look at this, that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Verse 10, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them, look, until the time of reformation. Verse 11, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. 
He entered into he entered once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. But understand, the Jews for 2000 years didn't know that. They didn't have that. They didn't know. How could they know? Then came Christmas. When Jesus Christ came, when Jesus Christ was born, look look at Matthew. You know, go to Luke. Let's do, let's look at the Luke passage. Luke chapter two. Verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, where they were, where those shepherds were, they were keeping the, the Passover lambs. They were keeping the sacrificial lambs. That's what they were keeping. And now, look at what God says to them. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill, to men, I want you to think about something. Toward men, I want you to think about something right here. Every time they've heard from God before, it was not good news. That's why when they're hearing from God, they're sore afraid. Fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Do you know why? Because the judge hasn't come. The Savior has. The Savior has. You see, do you know what Job said? For he's not a man that I could speak with him. Now he's a man. Now he's, That's the good tidings of great joy. He became a man so that he could pay the sacrifice, pay the sin debt, pay for our sin. Think about this. 1 Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. What's the next two words? The man, Christ Jesus. He became a man. You want to know something? He's still a man. You see, Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father and He still bears in His body those marks. He still bears in His body the wounds that He received in the house of His friends. That's what He says. Why is that important? See, if he was never God, we could have no mediator. If he was never man, we have no mediator. If he ceased to be a man when he returned to heaven, we have no mediator. This is why Jesus said, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. He takes his humanity with him when he goes up that he might bridge the gulf between the two parties and reconcile them together. See, man can now come to God 
through the God-man. What did Jesus Christ say? John 14, 6. See, we know all these verses, but they mean so much more than we know. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, Job understood that. There's no man that can get him to the Father. Now there is. Jesus came. There is now a man, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, we know these verses, but there's so much more meaning to them than we know. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled, that's brought back together, reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Remember, the only God that Job knew is the God that imputes trespasses. Right? But because we have Jesus Christ, that's not the God that we know. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Look, be reconciled. That God of vengeance, that God of wrath, He's the same God. But Jesus came. But That's what Christmas is about. Jesus came. He became a man like us. So that we don't have to know the God of wrath. Oh, man. Remember what happened when Jesus died? Mark chapter 15. That veil was rent in two from top to bottom. So that partition that was between even the holiest of men and a holy God was now taken away. And we can go directly into the presence of God Almighty through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what happened at Christmas. That's the one who came. Look at Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 25. Let's look at verse 23. We all know this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You understand that's all that the people in the Old Testament knew. Verse 24. Being justified, what's that next word? Oh, what a wonderful word. By His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption is the, the Christ buying us back with His blood. Verse 25, whom, that's Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. That's a satisfactory payment. Through faith in His what? Blood. Listen, God didn't have blood. That's why Jesus became a man. To declare, look at His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. You see, the remission of those sins that are past, that's because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Job didn't know that, Daysman. You and I can. What a wonderful truth. So now let's do this. Ready? Let's go back and let's go back to Job chapter 9. What did Paul say? Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. 
Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Let's understand Job chapter 9 as a New Testament Bible-believing Christian. Let's read it. Job chapter 9. Let's look at verse 30. If I wash myself with snow water, if I'm washed in the blood of Jesus, and make my hands never so clean, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. And mine own clothes shall abhor me. Are you ready for this? I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For he is not a man. He became a man. Like me. Without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain. Listen to the word. Mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. I'm so glad he came. Do you know who came? Our daysman. Our go-between our mediator, our arbiter, our Savior. For unto us is born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the King. Is He your Savior? Is He your King? Are you clothed in His righteousness? Or are you still in the same position as those people in the Old Testament? Even though you know all of the trappings of Christmas and you understand all of the, the, the ideas that float around because of Christianity, if that, if that sacrifice has not been applied to your account, then you are not saved. You are under the same wrath of the, as those people who never knew God. Do you know what I'm saying to you today? According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Be ye reconciled to God. You're not reconciled with Him if you're not saved. You need to be reconciled to Him. Do you know, let me put it more plainly, if you died today, if you didn't make it home today, do you know 100% for certain that you're going to heaven? Do you know that you're going to heaven? Are you sure? If you don't know, you need to get that settled. That's why He came. That's why there is Christmas. That's the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead. He died for your sins and my sins. He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. That's what we receive. That's what we stand on. If you're standing on anything else, then you are not saved. You need to be reconciled to God. And those of us, is there anyone here that's saved? you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Aren't you glad you have a daysman? I hope that you'll spend some time this Christmas season looking back at Job chapter 9 and thinking... What would it have been like not to know what we know? Are we blessed? Let's all stand together. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming.